right, all right. Day 120. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. Either ors, right? Either or. One of the things that we have the propensity to do as human beings, as fallen human beings, is create false dichotomies, right? We say, yo, it's either this, the reason my life is going the way it is, it's either this or it's either that. I look out into the world, oh, there's a problem. It's either this or that, and it can be nothing else. So what we do is we create what we call binaries, right? False binaries. Let me give you an example. If someone came up to me and said, hey, Keith, I think you're a great guy. You're either going to be a great dad or you're going to be a great husband. And it's like right there. It's like, why is it either or? Right. It's both. And that those two things can coexist. You can be both a great dad and a great husband. They're not mutually exclusive. They are not diametrically opposed. They are not pitted against one another. So that's the both and part, right? But then there's the the, thir- the third way part, right? So if someone comes up to me and says, yo, Keith, you're a great public speaker with the ability to make complex things simple and to break things down into bite-sized people, so bite-sized pieces so people can understand. You're either going to be a preacher or a motivational speaker, right? It's one or the other. Once again, another false dilemma, another false dichotomy why not yeah consider that there could be a third way maybe that could mean I would be a great elementary school teacher and you may say why why do I bring that up and what does it have to do with the book of Job everything right so we're in Job 33 and we'll see as it unfolds we're in Job 33 and as we've been going through the book of Job we realize that his friends Job's friends are saying this yo you probably are guilty. You most likely are guilty. You most likely sin. That's why your life is going the way it is. That's why the bottom has fell out of your life. Job comes on the other side and says, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not guilty. I know I didn't do anything. So it must be that God is just unjust, right? That God is just punishing me unjustly and it's not fair. Those are the only two options we've been presented with throughout this book. And we know that there has to be a third way because both aren't true, right? And so we come to Job 33 and we have Elihu. And Elihu is this young cat, right? He was this young cat. He came on the scene in 32 and he was talking all this stuff like, man, I'm mad. Both of y'all ain't saying nothing right, yada, yada. And he's basically like kind of ready to go in. And so in 33, he starts to go in and he basically starts to say, yo, man to man, straight up, bro. Like, listen up. Right. And if I'm wrong, I want you to refute me. And so he goes on and on and starts talking. And one of the things that I appreciate about Elihu's uh, response to Job is that, you know, more than the other three friends, he tries to spend more time talking about who God is more than he talks about what Job does. Right. So he tries to get him to see from God's perspective. And that's something that is commendable right about what Elihu does he tries to get him to see from God's perspective and we should carefully and wisely do the same now however he does still indict Job 
that's part of the problem, right? He does still indict Joe. So again, once again, his book is very complex and you see so many things happening at one time. He does try to present God's perspective, but he does still indict Job. And here's what he says. So he provides a paraphrase of what Job has said up until this point. Basically says, yo, in verse 9 of 33, I am pure without transgression. I am clean and have no iniquity, but he finds reasons to oppose me. He regards me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He, hand, he stands watch over all my paths. And he says this, yo, to Job. He says, yo, but I tell you that you are wrong in this matter since God is greater than man. Essentially, he's saying that, bro, I've heard every single claim of innocence and purity that you have made. However, you are finite and God is infinite. He is infinite, right? And so he also, so again, that is absolutely true. And that is that is actually the third perspective. And we're going to get into it more. That is the third way that I'm talking about. It's not an either or, it's a third Wait, so he also responds with this. He says, yo, why do you take him to court for not answering anything a person asks? For God speaks time and again, but a person may not notice it. In a dream, a vision in the night, when deep sleep comes over people, as they slumber on their beds, he uncovers their ears and, ter and terrifies them with warnings. So what he says is this. In other words, you have made these claims to go before God and you can't, one, you can't go before him, one, but two, and we talked about this before. Job needs an advocate, right? So like, yeah, he needs an advocate. He needs somebody to stand in the gap. But also he's like, man, you want God to speak. He's already spoken, right? In other words, Elihu implies that God has spoken already and he has not taken heed to it. And he has not perceived that. Job has not perceived that God has already revealed himself. Now, this is good for us because unlike Job, we have both the Old and New Testaments, right? We have the written revelation of the word of God. So in other words, our dialogue with God has already started, right? We must include, when we think about suffering, we must include what he's already said, right? His word, the dialogue has already begun. So for us to orient our perspective, we have to deal with his word rigorously, right? And so he goes on to say, yeah, God communicates through dreams, through suffering, all these things. And the, the problem is, again, though, Elihu continues to insinuate that God did all of this. He communicated with Job to um, deter him or to stop him from going down to the pit, from going down the wrong path. And so that's the means that God is using. He's communicating through all these means. But the reason he does that is so Job wouldn't go to the pit. So this is Elihu's inter interpretation. And again, he has good things and he has bad things. The good thing here is that he does tell him to account for what God has said. So from 34 comes and he comes back and says the same thing. And he's essentially calls, he essentially calls Job an evildoer because of the words he has given to his friends and to God, right? Where Job claims um, that God is basically unjust. And Elihu goes and defends the just character of God. And now, as we will see later, you know, he um, basically starts off with a, uh, you know, undebatable precept, meaning like, yo, that's undebatable, right? We all know that God is just. And that's clear. Right. And one of the things he does, though, he, you know, he he defends the character of God while at the same time incriminating Job. Right. And so for us, as we walk with people through something, we have to remember that we, again, don't have to do both. We can defend the just character of God here. We can defend the just character of God without incriminating or insulting the one we're trying to console.
And so, yeah, he continues on. And Joe, and remember, uh, Elihu is just going to chat. Like, he's going to talk, 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 talk. He talks more than some whole books of the Old Testament, like I said before. Um, and so in 35, he says this, look at the heavens and see. Gaze at the clouds high above you. If you sin, how does it affect God? If you multiply your transgression, transgressions, what does it do to him? If you're righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? So in other words, God doesn't need your righteousness, Job. And he isn't harmed by your sin, ultimately, right? He is the Almighty. He sits on the throne in heaven. His primary role in this relationship, his relationship with humans, is proactive, not reactive, right? His character and glory in no way is conditioned by your actions, Job. And so once again, he's trying to, to offer this perspective of who God is, right? And so as we gauge advice, though, Elihu, once again, says some good things. But as we gauge advice, we have to remember to take in the meat and spit out the bones. Because right after that, Elihu comes and says, yo, be patient with me. This is 36. Be patient with me a little longer and I will inform you. For there is still more to be said on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from a distant place and ascribe justice to my maker. Talking about God. Indeed, my words are not false. And who has complete and one who has complete knowledge is with you. Now, in a statement that as that is just as ignorant as it is arrogant, he utters that he is the interpreter of all God's ways, and that he has complete and full knowledge of his person and work. The irony here that the text portrays is that by making that very statement, he proves that he, that he doesn't have those things, right? Like him saying that is proven that he doesn't have that, right? And as much as Elihu seems, as a young man, seems to know about God, his declarations are still incomplete, right? So he doesn't know it all. And nobody, right? Book says nobody knows it all, right? I don't, it, it, it doesn't matter. Nobody know, knows it all. And at the end, he even, yeah, kind of, he, he says, yo, yes, God is exalted beyond our knowledge. This is 3626. The number of his years cannot be counted. And so at the end, he begins to praise God, right? He begins to praise God at the end of 36 and point out that, that the knowledge of God is beyond human comprehension, right? And humanity cannot fully appreciate his infinity. And so Job was in no position to criticize, you know, God in this way because God's power and wisdom defy, right, human understanding. And the thing, once again, the thing I want us to take away is this. And Elihu, in spite of the things that he says that are ignorant to all that is going on, he does offer a glimmer and a hint of truth, right? Job, listen, Job sees himself as innocent and therefore God is unjust. His friends see Job as guilty and therefore one who committed sin because his life is falling apart. We have to consider that there isn't necessarily a middle way, right? That includes both, but a third way to look at this. And I think that this section in the book is trying to get at maybe, maybe God is so vast, so infinite, so wise, and so high that if we are suffering, it could possibly be that it is for a reason that may not make sense to us. Maybe it's for a reason that we not only don't understand, but can't understand. God is infinite. He surpasses knowledge. Although, now, with that being said, although there we, although we can't know certain things, we have to trust him based off what we do, right? 
based off the fact that we know he is wise. We know that he is good. And ultimately, you know what we know more than anything? That he loves us. Just like we talked about yesterday, he sent his son to die for us. And so, as one of my favorite theologians, Tim Keller, says, if we are suffering, one of the things it cannot be, it cannot be because God does not love us. Romans 5 talks about um, God proves his love for us and that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that even as we seek to make sense of our life and seek to make sense of suffering, we will remember what you did at the cross and that even if we, um, you know, there are things we don't understand about you, we have to trust you based on the things that we do. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name.